Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wait, you've got to be kidding me. Let's get this untwisted. All right, so if you are a human being on planet Earth, then you've probably had this qualm where you have been influenced, maybe even like somebody like me, but you're often kind of left with this like lingering feeling of, wow, I've been influenced to buy this product, but maybe I don't know much about it. Or maybe I haven't done even my research to know if whatever I'm being influenced to buy is even legitimate. Which brings me to introduce one of my longest subscribers, I would argue. I don't know if that's accurate to say. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Let's say yes. Let's say yeah, why not? (laughs) But I am so pleased to be speaking with Paige Hallis, who is the creator of the podcast and Instagram account, Beauty in the Biotech Beast, who is a pop culture fiend, but also a researcher queen. Paige, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Wow, that was quite the intro. I really, I'm going to have to add that to my Instagram bio. That was great. <laughs> you don't know if you'll get all the characters to squeeze in. It was sort of Honestly, lengthy. <laughs> who cares? Who cares? That was awesome. But thank you. I'm excited to be on the pod. We're so happy to have you. Can you give a brief little explanation as to your background, what you do, and really what is our sole purpose of speaking with one another today. Absolutely. So I have a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and a master's degree in biotechnology. And I'm currently pursuing my PhD in cancer biology. So long story short. (laughs) That's so impressive. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) But yeah, long story short, I really like science. I've liked science since I was a kid. Um, I remember doing elementary school science fair projects that really got me into liking doing experiments and have had a lot of influence from the people in my family who are in the healthcare and biotech space. Um, So I've always really liked science and pursued um, a bachelor's degree in science and realized that to really have the career that I wanted in a research role, it Mm. was evident that more education was needed. Mm. Is that common, like that you need to get a PhD of sorts? Um, Unfortunately, yes. It's become more of the standard that Mm. for research-based roles, you do need an advanced degree. Mm. So I thought that a master's would be sufficient for me just because it was more than a bachelor's degree. I was also changing fields from chemistry to more biology. Mm. So I thought that a master's would really really cut it for me. But in working in industry through internships, I realized that having a PhD was more of a standard and would give me Mm. more like of a choice of what career I would actually be able to pursue. So that's kind of what led me to um, my doctoral studies. So I'm currently a second year student 
and my project studies cancer biology for um, triple negative breast cancer. So it's very oh impactful gosh. research, which Absolutely. I really enjoy. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's my academic background in a nutshell. First of all, so impressed by your background. I think that's absolutely so fascinating. So I guess where our paths are sort of aligning is that you have this beautiful knowledge of research and science and just all of the power to you. I did my fifth grade science fair on how many licks does it take to get to the center of a lollipop? And that is not a flipping joke. So that's my science for the day. I'm not even love that so much. Oh my gosh, that's so good. So that's you know uh, the the path that I'm on now is a little different, you could say. Um, But something I've learned from you and from your platform is you're kind of doing a a, actually not kind of you're doing a fabulous job of breaking down a stigma of maybe what is considered a woman in science, quote unquote, and how you've kind of intertwined that with personal interest in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a a good um, segue to talk about my platform and my podcast. So I started um, my Instagram account for Beauty and the Biotech Beast about a year ago. But before that, it existed as a blog that probably no one read. Um, And on that blog, I just really shared what my experiences were being a woman in science, Mm. having exposure to industry, which was very unique um, in an undergraduate education level. So I really wanted to share that with people. So I wrote it up as a blog that, like I said, nobody read. But once the pandemic hit, I had more free time on my hands and decided to turn that blog into an Instagram platform. Mm. And when I did that, I realized that there were so many other women just like me who were scientists in a bunch of different fields who were more than just scientists. So they had interests outside of the lab. And that's really what I wanted to highlight on my platform, because we really think of scientists as, you know, these nerdy people who like to read papers for fun and textbooks, which like we do that a lot, but also you can be a scientist who's interested in makeup, interested in fitness, interested Mm -hmm. in YouTube. I've watched more YouTube in the last year than I probably have in my entire life. And my suggested YouTube videos will be here's, you know, the top 10 things to do to lose weight and under it will be here's your experiment that you ran yesterday and here's how to do it. So my my targeted ads range from, you know, Glossier to Thermo Fisher, which is like a supplier of our things that we use in the lab. Right. And what a a narrow-minded perspective to think that women could only have one interest and that's your career path, you know? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. So yeah, so that's kind of how I started on the Instagram And then given the climate of the pandemic, there was a lot of science out there that people just did not understand. And that's Mm -hmm. really where I saw my, you know, a gap that I could fill is that I could educate people both from the science side, but also lay people about science and about things that maybe they don't understand, but in a way that's approachable. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of what caused me to branch out into the podcast platform where I do essentially 10 to 15 minute short little breakdowns on a particular topic. So I've done things like COVID-19, like vaccinations, like Mm -hmm. cancer, just to kind of give an audience 
a better understanding of science, because I think it's important for us to be able to understand it, even if it's not really what calls us. Exactly. And sometimes if you're not familiar with the field, it can feel very overwhelming because you think science, I don't understand. Therefore, I won't take the time to learn when really like you're doing with your platform, such good things of breaking down really important topics into a digestible manner for people like me, center of lollipop pro to understand. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's really the goal of the platform is like twofold to show that women are more than just scientists, right? We can, women in STEM can be more than just people who do lab work all day, but also that it's important for women in STEM to share what we know with the lay audience. Exactly. And I think something that I've learned from you and that we're going to speak on today is that although your background, at least right now, is in breast cancer research, you can take your vast knowledge and apply it to other aspects, other interests of your life to be able to understand maybe things like we were mentioning, influencer marketing, influencer media, to be able to understand the products that we're constantly being told to purchase, but maybe haven't taken the time to research or maybe don't always know is truth or not. So that's what we want to do today on this beautiful collaboration. Essentially, Paige is the queen of research, and we've come up with a few different questions that we think of as stereotypical fitness. I don't want to say conspiracies, but truths, myths, what have you that you hear commonly mentioned. You maybe see an influencer use it. Maybe you see an influencer try it, or it's just in a popular magazine, whatnot. And you might take the time to do your research on it, or maybe you've just heard it to be fact. You're not really sure, but today- we're going to be debunking it. Yeah, we're getting it untwisty, if you will. <laughs> that was so cute. But that's the objective here. <laughs> that is, you're right. That is exactly the objective. Yeah. So my academic background is mostly in cancer research, but as a graduate student, as a PhD student, we learn a lot about a niche little topic. And that's mm-hmm. like what we focus our career on. But at the same time, we're researchers as individuals, right. but we don't always think about research on our day-to-day life. So for example, if right. I watch a YouTube video that tells me that if I drink lemon water in the morning, it'll boost my metabolism, mm-hmm. I'm not going to necessarily research it, but I'll say, oh, okay, this person does this, therefore it should be okay, right? Like it right. should work. So I think a lot of this too was a useful exercise for even someone like me who is a scientist to really think about what are those things that we're being influenced to do and are they actually backed in science or do we know why these things are important? Right. And I mean, that makes total sense too, that you think of maybe your research as your school or your job and you turn your brain off when maybe you don't need to think about it and you want to relax, you want to watch YouTube, and then all of a sudden influencer marketing happens or whatever, or maybe it's not even meant to be marketing. It's just the way that somebody's living their life. And then all of a sudden you think the same thing I've been, I mean, I'm not a researcher, but I've been guilty of the same thing, like apple cider vinegar, lemon water, um, gallon of water. You know what I mean? All of these things. And I've done research on some of them, but you just don't always think of that innately. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times when you do think to research it, you're looking in places like Shape Magazine, right? Or like, 
you know, all of those like women's health, like mm-hmm. places that are obviously going to influence you to buy these products, but you're not True. necessarily thinking about looking into academic literature. So something that I've really um, done in thinking about the questions that we're going to talk about today is really dive into the academic literature and really break that down, as well as provide some suggestions for people who want a more reliable source for where to get information that's easy to digest about some of the things that we'll talk about today. I love that. I've tried a little bit harder to do more research from like Harvard journals or something like that, because that feels like something I could trust. (laughs) Let's start with lemon water, because that is something that we've been probing. Is that the right one? Sounds good. Yeah. We've seen it online. We've seen it in magazines. We've seen it in YouTube videos. Oftentimes we will see people have a little squirt, a little sprinkle of lemon juice in their water, hot, cold, what have you. They do it first thing in the morning before they eat anything else. And it's supposedly meant to maybe help your immunity, maybe boost your metabolism, work some sort of lemon juice magic. Paige, what are our thoughts? Or truly not our thoughts. What is our research telling us? Absolutely. Well, I think first, I really want to turn the question to you and say, as a consumer of influencer media, what do you think? Do you think it's helpful? Um, I would say, if I'm thinking about this from maybe a nutritional perspective, I would say that lemons on their own are a micronutrient. So they probably have a lot of good nutrients in them, or they do. I would say that probably just from my perspective, it would help more with immunity than it would with metabolism. I feel like there are a lot of other factors that go into metabolism other than lemons. (laughs) Um, That's just a wild guess there. But (laughs) now I feel like pressure. Um, I would say with my gut, probably it doesn't help that much. Well, Miss PhD of Center of the Tootsie Pop, you are actually correct. So there is very little evidence that actually links lemon water with boosting your metabolism. There have been some studies that have given animals lemon water and quote unquote seen weight loss. However, In an animal? it's hard to tell. Yeah. Well, Yeah, you weigh them before and then you weigh them after and you kind of look at the difference and see, okay, have they lost weight, right? All right, all right. But the problem with that is that animals can lose weight for a bunch of different reasons and they could have been losing weight because they were drinking more water because it tasted better, True. True. So it might not have necessarily been because of the lemon. That's a very good point because maybe it has something to do with consuming more water makes you more full, therefore less food intake. Absolutely. And that's, that's really where the power of the lemon water comes in is because water itself is really, really good for your metabolism, right? That's why we Mm. drink a gallon of water a day, but that we do Paige. that we do, (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes it's really hard to drink that gallon of water as someone who personally struggles with drinking a half gallon of water. Mm -hmm. I find myself really needing to add that lemon juice in to make my water count by the end of the day. I see. And it's more so that the lemon itself isn't what boosts your metabolism, but it's the consumption of water alone that does that. Hmm. So does it have anything to do with what you're saying is that the lemon makes the water taste better, therefore you're drinking more water? That is correct. So it's not necessarily a direct link to metabolism. However, 
Lemon also has a lot of vitamin C, which is really good for your immunity, which you sure. hit on in your um, careful analysis of what you thought that this would turn out to be. Um, yeah, of course. Um, there's also a lot of people who say that lemons are high in fiber, which they are. Mm-hmm. However, lemon juice has very little fiber. So fiber generally makes you full. It right. fills you up. But if you're not eating the rind of the lemon, then you're not really getting that fiber that people say is like, what is the benefit of running water, right? So that's a good point. Overall, (laughs) exactly. Overall, it's good for helping you consume more water. However, it does erode your teeth. So you got to be be mindful of that. It's a careful balance. Lemons erode your teeth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. They eat away at the enamel on your teeth, actually. Yeah. So you have to be careful as to how much lemon water you consume because you could be damaging the enamel on your teeth. And you don't get a second pair of teeth. You just don't. No teeth, (laughs) teeth terrify me. Like that's my my biggest fear is that they're just all going to fall out and then I'm going to have no teeth. (laughs) Do you know, for the longest time I've had this big, huge sort of irrational fear that I'm like at all times of the day going to be cracking a tooth. Like I, like I can't even talk about it. I can't verbalize it because it makes oh. me cringe because teeth are so important. Yes. Yes. And I was, you know, I didn't really realize how important teeth were until my boyfriend really broke it down to me. And he was like, if you do mm. not floss your teeth now, you will have dentures when you're old. And I was like, I don't want that. So you catch me flossing twice a day, every day, just because he said that one thing. So if you take anything away from this, yes. take care of your teeth, you get only one set. <laughs> Okay. So definitely need to go floss after this episode. Um, <laughs> thank you for the reminder. Of course, This is everybody's daily reminder to floss. To go floss, to go floss. That's true. Although lemon doesn't necessarily boost your metabolism, we right. do know that there are things that do boost your metabolism. Okay. So one of these things could be spices. So spices like mm-hmm. cayenne pepper that you see in a lot of those like energy shots totally. Um, from, you know, pressed juicery or wherever cold pressed juice you support. Um, that does boost your metabolism, but only because it really heats you up. So it gets your body like really moving. So true. I sweat through my nose every time. And that's not a joke. I literally will sweat through my nose. Absolutely. So you're boosting your metabolism by doing that, by taking those, you know, wellness shots. Right. Um, but there's a lot of other things that boost your metabolism, including, you know, drinking water, drinking green tea boosts your metabolism, right. eating lean proteins, doing HIIT workouts. So you don't necessarily need to, yeah, yeah. You don't necessarily need to just drink lemon water all day, every day to boost your metabolism. It's in all of the little things that you do every day that really boosts your metabolism, including drinking that water, doing that workout, stepping mm-hmm. into 21 and going on that walk. You said it. You literally said it. That's such an interesting point that you mentioned about the cayenne pepper, etc., especially in regards to lemon juice, because I remember for the longest time, I was always marketed these drinks at home versions of the cold pressed, et cetera's that you would make. And it would be water plus lemon, plus cayenne pepper, maybe plus apple cider vinegar, maybe maple syrup, honey, et cetera. And apple cider vinegar is kind of a different subject, but if we just take those other ingredients, really it's only the cayenne pepper, at least from what I'm gathering, that's kind of going to be having a little bit of an impact. The rest of it's for taste. So you don't hate what you're trying to 
suffer through, you know, like with the cayenne pepper when really could you just sprinkle it on like your, your meat for the night or something without having to do the, the lemon, the juice, the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that you drink. To be honest, I think they probably add lemon juice to those shots because, you know, if we remember the cinnamon challenge from like OG YouTube days, like Mm -hmm. you could die by choking on just powder. So totally, (laughs) you really need to dissolve it in something. So I think that's why they add in the lemon water. They add Mm -hmm. in the maple syrup or honey as the sweetener. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're really just trying to not make it taste terrible. Right. But it is those spices that really boost your metabolism. If, if you really want to go to a supplement for boosting your metabolism. Amen. I love that conclusion. Fabulous. Fabulous. Moving forward. Let's talk about intermittent fasting because this is one that I have been extraordinarily guilty of falling into the trap of myself. If you'd like, I could explain why or what I think my, my answer is. If I'm thinking of this from what I've learned thus far, truly, I think intermittent fasting, obviously the idea of it is to quote unquote, eat the same amount of food in a smaller window of time. But I think what probably ends up happening is that people, uh, do intermittent fasting, but because you're shortening the period that you're eating your food, you end up eating less than you were maybe beforehand. So I don't think it has much to do with the fasting portion, I think it has more to do with your level of caloric intake, but I don't know. Maybe there's some, maybe fasting has something to do with it. Cause I know fasting can be good. I don't know. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Oh, absolutely. So you, I think you're underselling yourself with your science background. And I think everybody (laughs) undersells themselves with their intuitive science knowledge because you really did hit the nail on the head there. So thank you. Intermittent fasting, of course. Intermittent fasting is one of those diets that really does have a backing in science, but Mm. as the diet becomes more popular, the science kind of falls away. So we've seen a lot of this happen with like keto diets, right? They were originally started for people who just can't digest carbs because they have certain diseases that make them unable to do so. And now they're like, or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now they're like the hot thing is that everybody's doing keto, right? Right. So intermittent fasting is one of those diets where we know from a intermittent fasting perspective that if we are eating when we should be sleeping, so mm-hmm. we are eating outside of our circadian rhythm, which is right. your body's natural awake and asleep cycles, mm-hmm. that this leads to obesity and diabetes. And we've seen this happen a lot in the United States mostly because we have a lot of fast food, 24 hour establishments where you can go get a Big Mac at 3 AM. And honestly, if that's your jam, you do you, but I've been there. I'm sure you have too. We went to college. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I have been in the Taco Bell drive-through right before it's about to close at 3 AM. Like 
which is so rude. I mean, I was, as we're talking about how bad it is, they really should be open 24 hours. Honestly, they should, because they do have that power bowl, which is not that bad for Taco Bell. Thank you. Yes. However, (laughs) we know that, you know, eating when you should be sleeping isn't good for your body. Right. And that's why, you know, as kids, they always tell you don't eat right before you go to bed. This is exactly why, because you're essentially shutting your body off from the night and Mm -hmm. that leads to other health problems down the line. But with intermittent fasting, so basically taking all of your meals and reducing your eating window, we've seen in animal experiments that these animals lose a little bit of weight, but we're not sure if that's because they're actually fasting or because they're eating less because their meal time is shortened, right? So they're feeling more full right throughout the day. So they have that reduction of caloric intake because they're probably not eating as much as they normally would if they're, you know, being given access to food all day long. I think also from my experience of doing intermittent fasting, it almost felt like there wasn't enough time to eat all of the food that I probably would have eaten to begin with. So let's say you were doing a 12 PM to 8 PM window you felt like you just ate breakfast and you need to eat lunch, but all of a sudden you're not hungry for lunch because you just had breakfast. Then you're not really hungry for dinner, et cetera, et cetera, which I suppose if you're wanting to eat in a caloric deficit for weight loss, that can be okay. But also if you're not tracking your intake, you could be eating significantly less than you'd been eating beforehand, which does not do good things for your metabolism. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're really shortening those windows. Right. And another thing that kind of plays into this is, especially in animal studies, we normally give animals access to unlimited food when they're being used for research, research purposes. They can, you know, they, they have a stable access to food. They don't need to hunt their food like they do in the wild. Right. Right. So not having food in those times when they're fasting it triggers a stress signature in them because they can't find food, right? Totally. And this obviously isn't happening as much in humans because we know that we can go to the grocery store, we can cook something when we're hungry. Right, that's more about willpower. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) But that willpower is actually, you know, a segment of your stress symptoms Mm. and you could, you know, be then heavy eating in those intervals, versus eating, you know, the same amount of meals just in a shorter amount of time. But you might feel like, oh, I'm not going to have food from 8pm to 12pm the following day. So I need to, you know, eat two portions of dinner versus just one. So ultimately, intermittent fasting isn't necessarily like the end all be all way to lose weight. It's really just having that caloric deficit. And if it Mm -hmm. works for you to have that by being, you know, a shorter work day, quote unquote, of eating, right, then that's how you achieve your caloric deficit. But you can also do that, you know, spreading your meals out throughout the day, but just eating less at every meal. Sure. It's all about personal preference, which I think is something I always try and hone in on is, you know, there's different styles of workouts, there's different styles of eating patterns, because we're different people. There's absolutely 8 billion of us. Yeah, absolutely. The most important thing is that you're eating during your body's natural wake cycles and that you're not eating in the middle of the night when you should be sleeping. So is that correlated to the science behind why fasting works because of the circadian rhythm that you shouldn't be eating in those windows? Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. That does make sense. Um, a lot of scientists, especially circadian rhythm is a hot topic in everyone's field because it plays a really big part of our biology, no matter what we are, who we are, mm. it just plays a really big role. Right. Um, so ultimately that circadian rhythm is something that you really want to stay consistent. This is why it's really important to get about the same amount of sleep every night, be awake for about the same amount of time during the day. If you're mm-hmm. going to take a nap, take a nap around the same time every day. Sure. But this is obviously, you know, it's hard Idealic. to stick to. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And every day is different, but the idea is that you really want to be eating your meals around the same times every day to kind of keep your body in that routine that allows it to know when nutrients are coming, right. know how long it has to break them down and mm-hmm. use them for energy. I love that. Um, side note, did you see my TikTok about circadian rhythm? Yes, I did. Do you do, you do that now? Do you change your phone light? I do. I do. Except mine, for some reason, it doesn't go to red. It what? goes to here. I can show you. It goes to black and white. You might want to try a different path because mm. I think I had to look it up a few different times. So try something different because I don't, I'm sure black and white's better than blue. I am like such a huge advocate. I like tell everybody I know now and not that like, I'm like, I need stuff to go viral, but I wish like more people would have seen that. Cause I feel like it's so important to turn off your blue light because we're so addicted to our devices. No, I literally sent your TikTok to everyone that I'm friends with on TikTok. I was like, you <laughs> have to see this. You have to see this because it's hey. true. We, we lay on our phones at night. Right. And then your brain thinks that it's supposed to be awake. And that's why we can't fall asleep. Like right. it's not, it's not rocket science, but I think the, the black and white really helps. I feel like once my head hits the pillow, I'm out. So by like by eight o'clock, my phone is already in black and white mode. And that's how it should be because Mm -hmm. one, you don't want to mess up your circadian rhythm, but I suppose also if you have the willpower to leave your phone somewhere, that's not next to your pillow, God bless you. But you know, we're all, we're all working on our things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, sometimes you need your phone because you need your alarm, right? Or you listen to your audiobook, So you need it like close that. by your bed. Right. So, or you read right. your Kindle on your phone. Maybe you do. I know. I always forget that there's a Kindle on your phone too. Um, okay. I have to ask before we continue on because it's come up a few times. Do we know the, um, the safety of these animal testings? Are they ethical or is this very That's- common in science? That's a very good question, actually. So in all scientific research that is eventually being applied to humans, we do multiple steps of trials Mm -hmm. and they first begin outside of the animal in more like kind of laboratory based settings. So we do what's called um, an in vitro assay, which means outside of a living animal, right? So we do lots of things. (laughs) Yeah, you did take Latin. Exactly. I took Latin too. These are the only two (laughs) words I use (laughs) is vitro and vivo. That's it. Um, But yeah, so those experiments happen out of the animal. So we do experiments on cell lines, which are basically cells that we can grow indefinitely. We do um, other types of biochemical assays that mimic what we see in the body. And when we get positive results from those 
in vitro tests, right. then we move them in vivo and they move to animal models. And these experiments are very well regulated. It's very different country to country, sure. but generally you have um, multiple regulatory bodies that oversee these experiments to make sure that the animals are treated in a way that's humane okay. and to make sure that the research is done in a way that's humane. So for example, in my cancer research, we are interested in studying cancer. Mm-hmm. We obviously can't study cancer in humans in a research setting so that we can easily manipulate. We do right. get clinical samples, but not in a way that we can manipulate. So to do that, we have a lot of regulations as to what we can and cannot do with the animals to make sure that they are the most comfortable that they can be, even in conditions that are not natural for them. So for example, in my lab, we'll give mice um, cancer tumors and we'll monitor them every day and we'll measure their tumors. And once their tumor is you know, over the burden that, you know, has been established as being the end point, we will take care of those mice in a humane manner. So all of the studies that happen in humans, for example, even with like the COVID vaccines, those have been tested in animal models before. Right. And all of those animal models are very well-regulated, very ethical, conducted in ways that are robust so that we get the most information out of the least amount of animals possible. So overall, these are very um, robust experiments that are done in a way that is ethical. And in the papers that I've read, I actually did check to make sure that all of the things that I'm referencing have the appropriate conditions and everything is everything checks out. All the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. That's so thoughtful of you. Thank you for taking the extra time to do that. I know that at least maybe it was not alarming to other people that are more familiar with the science background, but you know, so often you just hear testing on animals, but maybe in a more negative sense with shampoos or, you know, other soaps, things of that nature, which can obviously be extraordinarily harmful to the animals, but this seems a lot more humane. So Thank you for yeah. clarifying. It is not my favorite part of my job. I will say that, but mm. the fact that these animals have constant access to food, water, veterinary care, they have people that come and check on them that change their bedding. They get to live oh. with their siblings, which like little mice never live with their siblings. They're normally born. And once they're you know mature enough, they just go run in the wilds and then they show up in your pantry. Oh, so it's nice that they get to live in their little world all together. I should have prefaced this conversation by I'm terrified of all mice and rats. <laughs> so. I was I was also terrified of mice. And then I started this program and really loved my boss and wanted to work with her. And she was Aww. like, so you can you can work with animals, right? And I'm like, can I work with animals? I don't know. They, they do bite you when they bite you, then you're like, this is not fun anymore. Um, Um, yeah, but these mice are also, they're bred for research. All of these animals are bred for research use. So they would not be able to survive in the wild. A lot of the mice that we work with do not have an immune system. So they would get extremely sick if they weren't in the right environment. So it's, you know, they're being bred for a reason and it's, it's challenging for sure. sure. It's, it's very hard. Um, but I believe as a scientific community, we're all very mindful that the work that we do is using animals and that animals have given up their lives for the sake of scientific research. And we really do, 
we're sensitive to that and we really do commemorate that. So when we do have animals that, you know, aren't doing so well, we do take them out of their misery as soon as we possibly can. Thank you so much for that helpful clarification. I just, I just needed to know because I knew it was going to keep coming up. No, that's a really great, that's a really great clarification to make. And I should have said that as well. No, not at all. You're absolutely fine. All right. So this is one that I feel like lately hits home a little too close. This is all about the pre-workout, which, you know what, just since I need to clear the flipping air, uh, I've just given up on the dry scoop life. It's not for me. And speaking of enamel, I've heard it's bad for your enamel. So we're going to skirt past that train. I love a good old cl- glass of water and pre-workout. That's fine enough for me. But this particular debunking question, why does pre-workout make you tingly or itchy? Which is always like in the moment feels a little concerning if you're maybe dealing with the wrong pre-workout or if that happens. Slash, is pre-workout even safe? Now, I sort of think... Honestly, it it doesn't. It's not that it doesn't feel safe, but it just there's a just a little teeny like bit of concern. I think you have to be very careful about your brand. I think that would be important if if you do choose to use a supplement of pre workout. You need to look into what it is or the side effects, the proper precautions. I would assume, like even if you have. I don't know, like a sensitivity to caffeine or like heart conditions or something that would not be something that you'd want to dive into just to guess. But the, the tingly itchy part, I have f- no flipping idea why that happens. Maybe it's like, you know, m- my nerves are just too much caffeine in my body. Um, safety though, I'm just going to say it's dependent or it's frequency if you do it too much. Absolutely. So pre-workout, like you mentioned, is just a ton of caffeine, just literally a ton plus B12, which helps with energy, right? Yeah. It also contains um, creatine, which helps build strength and some amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins in our body. So that's what builds up our muscles essentially. But the ingredients that really make you itchy is the beta alanine that's contained in a lot of the pre-workouts that are Mm -hmm. being sold on the market. And this is what's called a non-essential amino acid, which basically means that our body makes beta alanine on a regular basis. We don't need to get it from our diet. Therefore it is non-essential. Our body makes it on its own. So that's kind of just like an additional uh, energy vitamin in there. Sure. But yeah, so beta alanine is, you know, our, our body's constantly making amino acids to make proteins, to build muscle, to keep our heart pumping, to keep everything basically working in our body. Um, so we don't necessarily need to consume beta alanine because our body's making it itself. But scientists believe that this pre-workout itch, if you will, (laughs) is that the beta alanine actually binds to the neurons in your skin, which is kind of what gives your body like that itchy burning feeling. And once you're able to like actually exercise and work out, the beta alanine is being driven to other parts of your body to help it function. So that's why once you start working out, that tingly, mm. itchy feeling will start to go away. Right. But overall, we don't necessarily need beta alanine. Our body makes it. 
Um, there's not necessarily anything bad with consuming it at the right doses. There's nothing, um, you know, too, too terrible that will happen if you, if you really like that pre-workout itch, which I don't relate, but there are individuals out there who like that. Um, it's horribly uncomfortable. (laughs) That's how I feel as well. But I know that that's something that a lot of people feel like it really gets them jazzed for their workout, which do not relate. However, it's not the worst thing for you in the world. But okay. that being said, there are two different ingredients that can cause this itch. Oh, the other one is niacin, which is a water-soluble vitamin B um, substrate in these pre-workouts. And they add this because it helps you with your energy and your metabolism. And we actually use this to treat high levels of cholesterol in the body. It's a mechanism for people who have high cholesterol. Huh which is super interesting, but at high doses, it really gives you that tingly, itchy feeling because your body is just trying to process it. But this isn't necessarily Mm. the best chemical. So if you like that pre-workout itch, make sure that your product does not contain niacin. And if you want that itch, it can contain beta alanine, but definitely not niacin. This is definitely the ingredient to skip. Okay. That's super, super important not to like brand shame, but do you know any ones that automatically have that, that you wouldn't recommend? To be honest, I am not a fan of pre-workouts themselves. That's totally fine. Just because I don't think for me, for me, I can drink half a cup of coffee or half, actually not even half, a third of an Alani new energy drink. And I am fine for my workout. So I I never really go to these types of supplements. So I don't know necessarily which ones contain niacin. I am pretty sure that Alani new does not, but don't, don't quote me. I like literally want to get up and see if mine does. I truly don't even know. Niacin is different from that, that thing that's really common in skincare. Oh, niacinamide. Is that different? Yes, they're different. Thank you. They are, they are cousins of each other. Okay. But one you put on your face and the other one is in your, in your body innately. Okay. So that, yeah, obviously a big distinction there. I just, I wasn't really sure. Wait a minute. That's. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question because a lot of times, even for skincare, we could, we could do a whole nother episode about skincare stuff because oh gosh, please, yeah, I would love to, because, you know, people say like, oh, do retinol or do vitamin C, but it's like, is it actually good for you? What is even in it? What is retinol? You know, why can't you mix retinol and vitamin C? So we could, we could, you know, do a whole branch of this where we break down totally. skincare and sunscreen. That's so, so flipping true. I was thinking about niacin. I don't know if this is right, but isn't cholesterol really waxy? Like, isn't that what cholesterol is? So does that, does, does niacin essentially try and like break down the waxiness of cholesterol to help people with high cholesterol? So what is it clinging on to if there's no high cholesterol, maybe in somebody like me? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's helping to kind of clear things out. So it's not, great for you to take if you don't have any medical reason to be taking it. So you should definitely flip over that label of your pre-workout or finish off the jar that you have. There's no need to just like throw it away right now, but maybe just don't repurchase it again. That's a good way of not being wasteful. I appreciate that. I feel like we have to talk about the dry scoop. What do you mean? (laughs) With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. 
McKissick helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. What do you mean? Well, is the dry scoop good or not, right? You've you've gone through the pain mm. of attempting to dry scoop your pre-workout. Right. Are you speaking from a, a, a scientific perspective? Is it good for you? Or are you just saying, is it is it a fun activity? No, no. I'm saying from a scientific perspective, do you like is a dry scoop actually good, right? Because we see a ton of people do it, right? Because mm-hmm. they're like, I want the pre-workout to work faster. So I'm just going to, you know, eat the powder and swallow the powder. Right. So let me just say like, first and foremost, owning up to it, it was a full influenced by people around me sort of scenario. It's like peer pressure almost. Like you see people do it, you think, oh, you know, maybe it can't be that hard. It's almost like the flipping cinnamon challenge is what I was relating it to. It's just like so weird that you're intrigued, I think is where it stemmed from for me. However, as I was hinting at, from the short little research that I've done, I believe it to be bad for your enamel. And also, I don't feel like it makes it easy to digest at all. It feels like just highly unnecessary if we're being quite honest and I don't see how it could have a more positive effect it feel it just feels wrong digesting that much condensed anything without proper liquid to um swallow it yeah it just doesn't feel like it makes sense yeah you're absolutely correct if the manufacturer doesn't recommend that you do it Most of the time, not okay. Um, So yeah, you're right. This is the cinnamon challenge, right? People were getting sick from the cinnamon challenge because all of that clumped Uh up stuff Uh gets stuck in your windpipes and that's not good. Uh Um, But if you do want the pre-workout to work faster and you are someone who enjoys dry scooping for whatever reason, you can literally take your scoop and just dissolve it in a little bit of water. You don't mm. have to put it in the full eight ounces because you don't want to take the, you know, the time to sit and drink your whole pre-workout before you start your workout. But if you put it in, you know, a juice glass sized glass or amount of water, right. you know, four ounces instead of eight ounces, you will still get that, you know, enhanced feeling quote unquote, because you have a more concentrated solution of pre-workout. However, you're not doing the dry scoop of death. So flipping true. That's such a good point. And also, does it does it even work faster or is it just the amount of time that you're consuming it? So therefore, quote unquote, it would work faster. Like, does that even matter? Yeah, I believe it's more of the fact that you're consuming it quicker than you would if you had to drink an eight ounce glass of water that Mm. contained your pre-workout unless obviously you know you're you're really downing that eight ounce glass of water like power (laughs) to you but i believe that's yeah exactly power hour but that's i how it works faster is that you're consuming more of it in a shorter amount of time so if that's really what you want to achieve don't necessarily dry scoop it but just make it more of a concentrated solution it will probably still be very grainy because it's meant to be dissolved right so it's not going to be completely dissolved but it's not necessarily as time consuming as drinking the whole eight ounce glass of water with your pre-workout 
Exactly. I also know from a instructions perspective, at least on my pre-workout, it also says like, make sure you're drinking lots of water while consuming pre-workout, which I don't know if that necessarily has to do with the way it's consumed. I'm, although I'm sure that's probably how they want their product to be consumed itself, but I am always very cautious of drinking a lot of water before I take pre-workout and after as well, you know, as well as through my workout or throughout my workout. Absolutely. And that's definitely because of the nature of it itself. It's also because it contains a lot of caffeine. Caffeine Mm -hmm. is very dehydrating. So if you're drinking pre-workout that has a, you know, 300 milligrams of caffeine, you have to balance that out with water. You can't just be, you know, this is why we can't drink coffee all day long, which I would love to do, but it's not, it's not hydrating like water is. Right. Right. I always heard once that like one cup of coffee dehydrates you like two glasses of water. And I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. true or not, but it it sure seems that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally think, I'm not sure if it's like based in scientific fact, but Mm -hmm. it makes sense, right? That caffeine does dehydrate you. You would think, you know, eight ounces of coffee would maybe put you back by two times eight ounces. Right. So yeah, I could totally see that. Right. Did you have any um, research on fasted cardio? Um, fasted cardio is kind of the same thing as like intermittent fasting, where it's like people think that it's good, but it doesn't necessarily make a difference as long as you are, you know, burning those calories. The only, um, advantage of, well, not really advantage, but the only downside of fasted cardio is that you could feel nauseous because you haven't eaten anything and you're spending a lot of energy. Um, but it doesn't necessarily do anything to help you with the weight loss component. Right. That's good enough for me. And I think that makes complete sense. Um, I'd love to talk about the time of day that you work out. I feel like that's a very popular question that I get. Does it matter at what time of day you work out? The long story short is no, it really doesn't matter. As long as you're getting in your workout, it's some people are morning people. Some people are night people. Totally. The thing that you need to be mindful of is making sure that your body has the right amount of energy to actually do your workout. So if you are a morning workout person, for some people working on an empty stomach makes you feel really sick, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't really have anything in your body that's burning off those like fast carbs, right? That give us that first initial boost of energy. So that's why it's sometimes good if you're a morning workout person to, you know, have a little bit of something to eat in the morning before you do your workout, whether it's a banana or an orange or, you know, half of a bar, just a little bit of something to give your body substance because you're ultimately your exercise isn't going to be as efficient if your body is you know, running on fumes. If you give it something to burn for energy, it does a little bit of a better job. I think people assume that running on fumes means that you're trying to run on uh, fat pockets, storage fat from the day before or something. So maybe you'd have more of an incentive to work out quote unquote on an empty stomach or first thing in the morning without eating because it's going to be somehow more effective or maybe it's better than working out during the nighttime because it's working out the food from the day before. I'm not sure that makes much sense. 
No, no, that makes sense. And that's like people's conception, right? Is that they can, you know, if they work out first thing in the morning and they're burning off last night's dinner, but that's not necessarily how the body works, right? Your body right. has already taken all of your food from the day before and either moved it for energy, moved it for, you know, muscular building. It's already being, you know, redistributed. So if mm. you're doing, you know, if you enjoy doing cardio in the morning on an empty stomach, like do it, why not? But if it makes you feel uncomfortable, you don't necessarily have to do it that way because our body initially is going to burn off whatever first carbs are around. And if there is nothing around, it doesn't necessarily go for those fat pockets. It's kind of like how when we do a booty workout, you know, you're not, you're targeting your booty, but you're not necessarily going to lose fat in your booty. That's not how that works. Totally. So it's very similar for fasted cardio that, you know, if you're not eating before, it doesn't necessarily mean that all of your fat is going to go away, but it just means that, you know, maybe your body is running on a deficit, which will, you know, decrease maybe your performance in your workout. Exactly. So bottom line, it's all about preference. Absolutely. Always, always about preference. You do you. Which is so important to reiterate because I think, you know, you can get so latched on to what you see other people do. And I think morning workouts are a maybe even trendy thing would be the right thing to say or a popular thing. But truly, it's just about like what time of day maybe you even feel like you have the most energy. If you hate waking up flipping early in the morning, don't do it. You know, like it doesn't really yeah. matter what you get done in your day, as long as you get done what you want to get done. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for some people, you know, doing a morning workout really, you know, releases their positive energy for the day. And they feel like they're super accomplished before 9am oh, and that's totally fine. But also at the same time, if you want to be super accomplished at 11pm and say, Hey, I just crushed my workout and now I'm going to bed. Like good for you. Right. I know. And then you get like a nice, like little endorphinic sleep session. Absolutely. Absolutely. I work out in the morning. So I forget it happened. That's usually my, the way I like yeah, to view it. Absolutely. That's what I do with running. I get up early so that I could go on a run so that the whole day I could pretend like I didn't do that. Right. Or it happened so long ago. You forget that you ran. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. So I guess if we want to be extraordinarily elementary per se, let's talk about food calories page. What is a calorie? Yeah. So a calorie, and there's an important distinction here, but okay. a calorie that starts with a little C is oh the heat that is needed to raise the temperature of one kilogram of water by one degree okay. Celsius. And that's a lot to, to say, but basically what happens is every food to figure out what its calories are, are put into what's called a bomb calorimeter. And essentially, this is a controlled environment where we explode food and see how much energy it releases. You're kidding. And that's how we measure what the calories of a food are. Okay, not me literally thinking that like scientists would measure out like, okay, two tablespoons of salt weighs it. <laughs> like, all right, uh, add that to the calculator. <laughs> Like, you know, like for the whole recipe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I thought too. And then I took this lab in undergrad and we took crackers and we put them in a bomb calorimeter to see how much energy do you get from a cracker? And it was so cool to think like, yeah, science has to be used to even figure <laughs> out like how much 
calories are. I love the way that you explain that too, because what it comes down to is the energy, which is essentially what calories are meant to do is supposed to give you energy. I just thought that was kind of nerdy. No, no, that's definitely, see, this is, this is why I love doing this because you can really (laughs) have some mind blowing moments. And now you can share this at a party with all of your friends. Like, well, I know how calories are counted and I know (laughs) how we know that this serving is 160 calories. I can't wait for this dinner party action with me talking about blowing up food. Yeah, exactly. That's literally what it is. But yeah, so that's a calorie with a little C. Okay. So in the U.S., like every other metric unit that we've ever learned is different than the rest of the world because we need our own system for everything. So in the U.S., we call our calories calories with a capital C. (laughs) So one U.S. calorie is equal to one kilocalorie with a little c. And one kilocalorie is equal to 1,000 calories with a little c. So let me give you an example to make it easier. Okay. So 15 U.S. calories are equal to 15 kilocalories or 15,000 calories with a little c. So essentially what the U.S. did was they said, if we package food and we write 15,000 calories on it, No one's going to eat this because it's going to look really big and scary. Mm -hmm. So we'll essentially just take kilocalories and name them calories. And that's how we'll label our food. But if you were to go outside of the U.S., all of their calories are represented in either kilocalories or kilojoules, which is also an energy unit, a little bit different, but also an energy unit. So the U.S. basically made their own system where we think that something is 15 calories, but really it's 15,000 calories. So really what's wrong is our understanding of the word, not Correct. actually what 15,000 calories is. In li- like you're, you're not telling me like my apple is actually like 90,000 calories. Correct. Correct. We well, just it is, but it, it isn't. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, it realistically is 90,000 calories in your hypothetical situation, but in the U.S., we represent things in kilocalories that we call calories. Because we wanted to change the meaning of the word calories. Yes, and we wanted a metric unit that wouldn't scare people, which is right. much like how we use like feet and yards and other countries don't use that. They use meters and kilometers, right? But you ask me to run... 10 kilometers. And I have no idea what you're saying. I'm using miles. Right. But how does, I mean, on that note, how does understanding what a foot means better than understanding what a meter means? To be honest, I have no idea. I think the U S just likes to make up our own way of measuring everything so that when we go abroad, we're confused. But (laughs) It's like we live on the moon in some sense. If I eat in apple in Canada, it's 90 kilocalories, but in the U.S., it's 90 calories. You got it. 90 calories with a big C because we've made up our own measurement of calories that is equivalent to kilocalories. So for your listeners who are abroad, listening to us Americans be so stumped by the fact that we made up yet another metric unit. Yes, you are right. Your country is superior. (laughs) It literally makes no sense, like even like through explaining it, because there's 
there's literally nothing different about what you're eating. They just wanted to make something sound simpler. Yep. You got it. Yeah. So I guess it's not all that different. No, it's not all that different. But when we talk about things to people, so for example, there's people in my lab who are from outside of the country. So you'll say like, oh, this was really good. And it was only 90 calories. They're like, 90 calories, that's like nothing. Like, how is that even a food? And then you're like, oh, well, it's 90 kcal. Because they think of 90 calories as being 90 divided by a thousand, which is like, what, 0.09 calories. Oh, I don't understand why they had to do it in the first place. You could easily just standardize the understanding that a kcal is what we put into our bodies and ignore the fact that a thousand calories equals a kcal. Absolutely. And I, I ask myself the same question with the mile and meters <laughs> and kilometers. So yes. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I totally like, I went through like the, I understand. I don't understand. I don't, I do that. No, like you're totally times. fine. You're totally fine. But you but committed to understanding it, which is the important part, right? That's such a kind way of saying you know, I, I went through no. the loop. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't even say that's, that. That's so sweet. To kind of end our discussion, and I feel like this is fairly on brand with what we've been talking about, the world of supplements. It is an intimidating one. It is a world I'm not exactly familiar with. Obviously, we touched on pre-workout. I know I take protein myself, but I'd love to know why supplements are always so raved about in the fitness community, particularly protein, for example, BCAAs. I don't know a darn thing about them. I think they maybe help you with muscle recovery. I think, um, creatine, as you mentioned, which I think is often included in some of the pre-workouts, but why do some people take it on its own? Does it help build muscle faster? In which case, is it a steroid? Like, you know, I, I just start to go down this confused path. Um, so are they important and really are they necessary? And if so, which ones should we be eyeing? That's a great question. So I think first to kind of break down BCAAs. Okay. So your body can produce 20 amino acids. Those are the ones that exist. These make up proteins, which make up muscle. Right. And nine of these are essential, meaning that they cannot be made by the body. So we need to consume these in our diet. And of these nine, three of them are branch chain amino acids, which is where BCAA comes from. Oh. It's basically just a, a shortened version of branch chain amino acids. Right. And these branch chain amino acids are broken down in our muscles. So that's why people say like, oh, you should take BCAAs to help with muscle recovery and, you know, energy in your muscles when you're doing your workouts. Right. And ultimately it's very inconclusive if these actually help your muscle fatigue, because sometimes they see that they help muscle fatigue, but they've also been compared to carbohydrate sports drinks like Gatorade or like a Mio energy. And they see very similar results um, between a BCAA supplement and some of those sports drinks. So oh. overall, the BCAAs maybe help, maybe not. Um, it's hard to tell. However, we get a ton of BCAAs from our diet. That's These what I was come, just going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. They come from things like meat, 
fish, beans, milk, tofu, eggs, nuts, like literally everything has BCAAs in them. Mm. So you don't necessarily need it in your diet as a supplement for muscle growth, um, especially if you don't feel like you need it. Um, for some people, they really think that it helps with their muscle recovery just because, you know, your muscles do need BCAAs, but BCAAs also at high concentration cause lots of mood changes because they're linked to tryptophan, which this is probably sounds familiar if you've ever eaten turkey on Thanksgiving and then taken a fat tryptophan nap. Yes. So totally. That's, That's like the only time I ever hear that word. Absolutely. So November. Yeah. So tryptophan is a branch chain amino acid and it helps to make serotonin, which is basically the chemical that makes you happy. So if you're taking high concentrations of BCAAs, it's not necessarily good because it'll interact with those natural tryptophan reactions. So it can cause like lots of mood swings if you're taking a lot of it outside of its directed amount. At least in regards to tryptophan, does that mean it only would make you moody in the sense that you just want to take a nap, you're tired, you're kind of irritable, or is it like any type of mood swing that it could happen as a result of having BCAAs? Yeah. So if you just have too many BCAAs in your system, and this is talking like over the concentration and like the limits that they recommend in your BCAA supplement, but essentially it'll interfere with your body's natural tryptophan. So it'll cause kind of weird production of your Mm. serotonin, which can lead to, you know, exhaustion. People report um, depression like symptoms if they're taking too much BCAAs. Um, So yeah, it's, it's good to be mindful of how much is recommended to be taking. Um, like I said, I don't necessarily think that they'll help your muscle recovery any better than, you know, eating a turkey sandwich after a workout or, <laughs> you know, making sure that you have, you know, some mixed nuts or a hard boiled egg or something of that sort. Um, but if you feel like you really do suffer from muscle fatigue and think that BCAAs can help you, it's really important to take it at the recommended dose and make sure that if you're seeing any mood change, like symptoms that you kind of stop, eliminate the BCAAs from your diet. Right. I think that's so important to monitor also, because sometimes when you start to feel off, you don't always think, Hey, maybe it's what I'm eating, or maybe it's the supplement that I've been trying, but you don't sometimes think to correlate the two. So that's a really good PSA, but also like love the idea of just being able to get these supplements from nature, like from nuts, from eggs, or I guess it's not nature, but you know what I mean? Like from the the food that we're putting into our bodies, we can easily integrate it into our diets without having to spend what feels like a ridiculous amount of money on these supplements. I mean, I was just at the store the other day. I saw a little tiny jar of it, $50, Yeah, $50. I wouldn't guess that it's not well-produced or it doesn't have, you know, extra really great benefits to it. But personally, that's just a lot for something in such little quantity that, you know, maybe you're taking every single day, even if it's a teeny little scoop, it just feels like, wow, that's a lot to consume. Yeah, absolutely. And 
the take home message from all of these, um, as a, as a sequel, like a sneak peek, the take home <laughs> message of all of these supplements is that all of these things we can get through our diet, right? Totally. You can get your caffeine high from your pre-workout from a cup of coffee or a cup of green tea or chai tea. You can get your BCAAs from meats. You can get your protein from, you know, lean beans even and lean sure. meats you know, so you can get all of these things from your diet. You don't necessarily have to go to the store and buy the brand new Alani new flavor of everything. Every time you feel like you need a supplement or you want to commit to your workout regimen, Um, you can just, you know, after you work out, for example, what I do is I'll like, after I work out, I'll just have like a piece of turkey jerky or a couple pieces of turkey jerky because it's Hmm. a very lean meat. It's very easy. You just throw the little pack in your gym bag and you have something quick to snack on that you know that you're replacing those proteins that you just broke down. Right. And sometimes you just want, or you feel like you need something immediately. And that's a really good idea. Just throwing it in the gym bag, talking a little bit about protein a teeny bit more in depth. I know at least for somebody like myself, I like to use protein because I don't always feel like I eat enough meat or I get enough protein in my diet without it. Do you think that's a smart decision or do you think there's other benefits from protein beyond just wanting it or, you know, including it in your diet? That makes total sense. And protein powders and protein shakes, they all contain those amino acids that make up proteins that help our muscles. And overall, we know scientifically that protein is very beneficial in muscle growth and recovery. And it's important for you to have a well-balanced diet where you are getting protein. But like you said, there's a lot of individuals who don't feel like they're consuming a lot of protein. For me, as an example, I don't really like cooking meat. Um, I will only really eat chicken or turkey because once I cook it, I can't eat it. Like I just have a extreme distaste for it. Mm -hmm. So protein shakes and things like that are really good supplements for me because I feel like they're actually filling out my diet and giving me more of that protein. But that being said, if drinking a chalky drink or eating a chalky protein bar is not your jam, you can leave the gym. You can have a hard boiled egg. You can have some meat. You can have some salmon. You can have beans. So there's a lot of other ways to get in those protein dense nutrients that don't necessarily have to be a shake. But that being Mm. said, if you like the shakes or you like the bars that maybe don't taste like chalk, because if you do, I'm concerned for you, then (laughs) you can consume those. Right. You're making me so hungry. I feel like I should have had a bigger meal before we started this. Oh no, you're totally fine. I'm like, gosh, that sounds so good. I want some meat. I want some beans. I want some (laughs) eggs. Yeah. I I love it. I love it. Um, before we forget about it, creatine, let's talk about her. What is she like? Really? Who is she? And is she needed in our lives? Absolutely. So creatine is absolutely needed in our lives. She is made by our amino acids. So the amino acids that are in our body, they make creatine and they help with energy. And that's why these are suggested for those really hard workouts. So they're, you know, suggested for weight lifters. They're suggested for marathon runners um, because Mm. they have been shown to improve your lean muscle mass and your strength and the power of your exercise overall. 
Right. They've also been found to improve your cognitive function with very little side effects. Really, the only thing it will do is disrupt your gastrointestinal system if you're taking too much creatine. Huh. Just it'll just cause a little a little bit of discomfort, but nothing nothing too bad. Okay. But we do like all of the other supplements. The common thread here is that we do get creatine from our diet. We primarily get this through red meat and fish, which for me personally, like I mentioned, not super jazzed about eating red meat, not super jazzed about fish, um, unless it's in a sushi roll. That's really the only way that you'll get me to eat fish. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a good supplement to take at a recommended dose if you're doing some of those higher energy workouts. But this doesn't necessarily have to be weightlifting or running. It could be even HIIT workouts, going to cycling classes, anything where you feel like you're really expending that energy and you're reaching your peak of where your muscles can go, creatine can be helpful to kind of help balance that energy expenditure. Right. Um, But that being said, it doesn't need to come from an expensive supplement. It can come from your diet. It can come from, you know, your protein powder. If you're taking a pre-workout that doesn't contain, you know, niacin that also has creatine, (laughs) boo niacin. Yeah. But if it has creatine in it, then, you know, that's another way to get, to double up on your supplements. Totally. I don't know. Before this conversation, I don't think I even understood that like, let's say BCAAs or creatine are made in the body or that like these things are just adding to that because of our intensive workouts. I don't know if that is a very, very ignorant thing to say, but I just, I never had that full understanding of that's what's already in our bodies. And what we're doing as a supplement is just supplementing what we've worked off in the gym, I suppose. But I don't know. I I never, I never saw it as, oh, this is what my body is already making for me. I saw it as, oh, you're in the gym, you need to make some good gains, take this new product that will build you this Arnold Schwarzenegger body. Absolutely. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that these are labeled supplements for a reason, right? They're supplementing Mm -hmm. your diet in some way. Some individuals based on, you know, their medical background need more supplements than others for certain things. But overall, if you are an average person, just trying to do your workout, if you're eating a well-balanced diet with carbohydrates, with proteins, with fruits and vegetables, you're doing the right things. You don't necessarily need to go out and buy all of these supplements. But that being said, even me as a scientist have watched a ton of influencers say, oh, I love X brand of pre-workout. And Mm -hmm. I found myself Googling X brand of pre-workout and saying, oh, maybe I should buy some of this. But then kind of taking a step back and being like, wait, let me see, is this actually helpful or not? And for some people, they think that it's helpful. Maybe it actually is for them, but it could also be, you know, a little bit of that placebo effect where you feel like your pre-workout will give you energy. So it does, right? But you can get that energy. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people feel that way. And that's totally fine. If you, if you feel like it helps you and you feel like you're not feeling funky because of it, then continue. But if you feel like you're feeling funky, it's not because you have to do it. Right, right. And I think that's obviously a very 
huge overarching theme of this discussion, or really when it comes to influencer marketing or any marketing in general is kind of understanding maybe why you want to look into this product or two, do I really, really need this? Uh, I think you could ask yourself that in any context, but I definitely fall into that trap, especially when it pertains to my body and wanting to feel better or maybe wanting a body that I see online that I'm hoping to achieve something along those lines. I get so self-conscious about what I don't have. And then you envy what you see in others. And they're saying, I used X product. It helped me reach my goals. So then therefore you want to use X product, but all in all, definitely a supplement, which I think is an important thing to remember because especially when you're starting on your journey, you don't always have those, that extra income or a dispensable income when it comes to your fitness journey, especially if you're in high school, you're in college, even when you're an adult, it's just not necessary. And I think that's important to remember. So thank you for being honest and giving the scientific perspective behind things, because sometimes as we've learned, that's not always explained and that's not to anybody's fault, but there's just so many good things to learn often. So little time. Um, I would love if you had, I don't know, like some sort of ending moral here. We talked about a lot of really good topics, debunked a lot of things. And I don't know if that's just our own sample size, you know, an inaccurate sample size. If I'm going to be a little, put on my scientist hat, maybe we skewed our research by putting up our own implicit bias. (laughs) I'm just like, boom, boom, verbatim, all Mm -hmm. the science words. But do you have like any sort of message that you want to throw in to any of the twisty pod listeners as something to just remember from a science perspective. Absolutely. I would just like to remind everyone that it doesn't hurt to do a little bit of research before you purchase anything or incorporate anything into your routine and to make sure that these sources that you're getting information from are reputable. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that I really like are Healthline they actually link to scientific studies within their articles and they're Perfect. written for a very um, lay person audience, which we love. We do. Um, I, I also am lay. love, yes, I am lay. Everyone is lay. Uh, <laughs> um, I also really love anything from um, Johns Hopkins Medicine. They have a lot of really great articles, especially in the exercise and fitness space. Um, obviously, anything that has a big university tied to it, Harvard, Oxford. Um, But really Healthline, all of these questions, I even had to look up myself and Healthline was a great resource. They do direct you to some very jargony papers, which you can kind of skim and see. But ultimately my takeaway message is before you incorporate anything into your routine, you should make sure that you do the appropriate research on it. And if you have questions, feel free to ask a professional, a doctor, a nurse, Um, There are resources out there for people to answer questions like this. Thank you so sincerely much for coming on this podcast. I think you're so fabulous to talk to. And I genuinely felt like I was in the best way possible, like in class, like learning with you, but also much more interesting because it was just such a perfect dialogue. And I was gleaming from side to side trying to debunk all of this with you. So thank you so much for your time. Can you please tell everybody where we can find you and where they can listen to your blog turned podcast turned Instagram? 
Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I've been, this has been really great to kind of talk to everyone and debunk some of the fitness myths. This was kind of a learning experience for both of us. So we got to be the teacher and the student. Of course. Um, but people can find my Instagram page at beauty and the biotech beast. And my podcast has the same name and can be found anywhere you listen to the twisty pod actually, because we both Perfect. use the same distribution platform. So that's exciting. We love to see um, it. Yeah. And I'm also on TikTok. I'm, I'm new to the TikTok game. And my handle is grad student runs on Duncan. And it's basically a Duncan Donuts <laughs> fan account. So if you are a fan of Duncan Donuts, I review drinks there. Oh my god. <laughs> and that's how I influence the community. <laughs> I can't even express my jealousy. Like my Scorpio ego is coming to play. I just I wish so badly to be near a Duncan. <laughs> ah, but that's- it's okay. It's okay. You've got the grounds though. You're on, you're on your way. You know what? I quite literally just emptied the grounds into my last French press this morning. So um shedding a quick tear until I visit the store again, which is totally in my near future, but just for the quick moment, you know, we love a Duncan ground. I couldn't believe how good it was to smell. Oh my gosh, nothing better. I swear by it. Um, Thank you so much, Paige. I appreciate you. I would turn the conversation back on me. I'm so sorry. That was so No, you're totally fine. Um, thank you so much. We love you. We appreciate you. You made everything very, very untwisty. And for all the listeners, thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed. I will also leave maybe a few different articles below that Paige did some awesome research on. So that will be really helpful if you want to look into things a little bit more. And if you have more things that you want us to debunk, or if you want some more info on a skincare episode or something, I would find that fascinating. So let us know. Love you all so much. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Cue outro.